Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Judeans sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ, and happy Gaudet Sunday. Now, hopefully you read this month's newsletter entry, and you already know what that means, and it didn't just sound like nonsense. But for those who maybe missed it, I'll give a, a brief recap now. Advent, the season we're in now, used to mirror Lent a lot more than it does today, and that included all the repentance, fasting, people would give things up, and the all-around dreary motif for the six weeks leading up to the big holiday. Easter comes after Lent, the same way Christmas comes after Advent. 
A tradition started that on the fourth Sunday of those six weeks, just past the halfway, just past the hump, there'd be a bit of a reprieve. At least for that Sunday, the church would let go of the dreary bits and embrace the excitement over the big day that's coming. Now, there were liturgical songs used in the old Roman Catholic Latin Mass that marked each day. They each had their own unique song. And the Sundays eventually came to be named after the lyrics of those songs. In both cases, it's a Latin word that would be translated roughly the same in English, rejoice. This is the Sunday of rejoicing in our anticipation of Christmas. Now, there are some minor artifacts from that tradition still floating about. If you read the newsletter, you'll see some more of them. But the easiest to identify is on the Advent wreath. The third candle, this Sunday, is a different color. And if you should ever look up the themes of the four candles, the four Sundays in Lent, well, there's no official list. So depending where you look, the ideas will vary quite a bit, maybe even tremendously so, contradicting one another. And somehow, the third one is usually, maybe almost always, named after joy to this day. The third candle, the theme of the day, is joy. And if it doesn't say joy, it'll probably say something like it, maybe peace. So, where do we find the joy this week, this year? I've been struck this year by just how often I've heard people say, it doesn't feel like Christmas doesn't seem like it should be coming up so soon. It's been too warm out. There's been so little snow. People have been so busy. Some people have been so sick. People haven't decorated, at least not as much as they usually do. And on and on it goes. Maybe you can relate. It's one of those years where it just doesn't feel right. Maybe you could use a reminder of the joy of the season, maybe you would benefit from someone, a message, a messenger or two, delivering good news into less than ideal circumstances. Well, our Advent messenger is back again this week, or rather, we're seeing the same story again. We're getting a little different perspective on the same story. Our gospel reading gives us John, the gospel writer's take on what we read from Mark before. John the Baptist appears on the scene, does that super large finger thing. He's pointing at Jesus with his life, his message. And had we read a few verses earlier, put this into context, John the Gospel would have told us how the Word of God, you know the line, is God and was with God and was there from the beginning. And through this Word, everything came into being. And that Word is the light of the world. This is a recurring metaphor used to help explain to us what Jesus means for us, for the world as a whole. Because we know the difference between light and darkness. We know the difference between living in light or in darkness. In the light, you can see where you're going, right? You are safe or at least safer during the day. People behave themselves better during the day, probably because more eyes are on them. And then darkness is just The opposite of all that, you could describe it as lost, confused, stubbing your toes, unsafe from dangers of all sorts, and people behaving in not-so-good ways. Jesus is the difference between the first list and the second. 
That's a big enough, important enough difference that no matter how well-spoken and popular and influential John the Baptist becomes, the light is greater still. He's there to testify to the light. And he makes his own life, in word and deed, greater by pointing to the light. So, who would listen to such a thing? Who do you suppose yearns for a message like that? Who wants to be pointed toward and reminded of the light? The message of repentance, forgiveness, deliverance. It resonated with John's audience because they were living in their own sort of darkness feeling guilty for their shortcomings, their mistakes, dreading the inevitability of death and God's judgment, helpless under the thumb of a foreign military power, wondering what is their purpose in a world like this. They yearned for such a message down to their core and prayed that the Messiah would come and cast out this darkness in all its forms. So when John the Baptist told them the kingdom was near and the Messiah was on his way, do you suppose they believed him? Of course, some of them did. Some of them did not. Some of them were ready to hear it and embrace it, and others just didn't quite feel it. Now, this wasn't the first time the people of Israel had felt this way, not by a long shot. Aside from the prophetic connection to John the Baptist and Jesus, we also read from Isaiah throughout Advent because of just how similar the tale of the Babylonian exile sounds. The people of the southern kingdom were conquered. They were divided. Much of the leadership especially was hauled off to Babylon. This is a technique some ancient empires used to keep conquered people easier to control, take their well-read and leadership out and send them somewhere else. Isaiah called that exile, that divide, living in darkness. He prophesies that a Messiah will free them from their captivity and allow them to return home. They can all go back and be together. He envisions, if not promises, a world in which the abuse and mistreatment of our fellow human beings would come to an end so the threats of empire would no longer be there and that this would include something like an eternal heavenly banquet in which there is more than enough, more than enough room, more than enough food, so that no one will ever be in want again. So they lived in a sort of darkness. They yearned for light. Isaiah prophesied about what was coming in their immediate future, or at least within the few decades, as well as what was coming down the line with the advent of Jesus Christ and his eventual return. Now, do you suppose those Israelites, either living in exile or conquered at home, believed Isaiah? Again, they waited decades. Some of them lived and died before the return ever took place. Some surely believed it and took comfort in these words and found joy in the promises of God, but others could not see past the troubles of the day. They couldn't feel it. So we have this great chorus of witnesses. The gospel writers, John and Mark, Isaiah, John the Baptist, and they all get at least a little bit prophetic. They are prophetic because they name how things are and contrast them with how they can, should, and will be. You see, when God sends someone to speak, it virtually always includes that theme in the mix. There are matters of today which are rough. We can name them, canceled plans, disrupted lives, 
disturbed minds, political and familial divides. There are matters of every age that are rough, like our anxieties that we share with those people from thousands of years ago. Anxieties over imperfection and mortality and purpose or lack thereof. Yeah, we can always point to someone who has it worse. Some places, some times, some people. If we're comparing how good we have it, we are pretty fortunate to live when and where we do. But there's never been a time or place that darkness didn't loom at least a bit, at least sometimes. And we have before us examples of people who had it much worse than we do. And God's message was the same for them as it is for us. Because even though the circumstances were different, today has its own sort of darkness. For many of us, we can't quite put our finger on it. We just know it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like Christmas. But even if we cannot quite name it, the word of God can. And at the same time, give that same prophetic proclamation. Things do not have to stay this way. They won't stay this way. Things can, should, and will get better. Now, do you suppose people believe that today? Do you believe it today? Or do the ways in which it just doesn't feel like Christmas weigh you down and make it harder to hear, difficult, if not impossible, to rejoice? Well, for today, I will leave you with this. Rejoice that Christ was born into this dark, messy world. Rejoice that no matter how today feels, the reality is God loves you enough to take such extreme measures to know you, to have a relationship with you, to save you. Rejoice that just like the morning sun, Christ comes whether you're ready or not, whether you're feeling it or not. Tell one another to rejoice. Wish one another a Merry Christmas. Share those glad tidings of good news because for thousands of years, this has been God's first response to dark days. The promise of hope, the sharing of good news, and the commendation that we turn and do the same. Share that good news. God keeps saying, God keeps sending others to tell you and showing you through deeds the love of God, so that sooner or later you, we, the whole world, might actually hear it and believe it. So rejoice, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's how Paul put it in Philippians. Nope, First Thessalonians. <laughs> and that's how it is for us today. Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Amen.